Everyone loves to listen to a good book, and there are so many wonderful ones to choose, so we decided to bring you this podcast of Stories Come to Life. Each episode features a story from either classic or modern literature, especially chosen to be interesting and exciting to hear. So sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Welcome to Stories Come to Life. I am your host, Catherine Lopez-Luker. It is with great pleasure that I am able to announce that Simon & Schuster Publishing Company has given permission for this book to be read out loud and shared on Stories Come to Life until June 30th, 2024. But of course, the episodes that fall under that special permission will all be taken down on that date, so listen now while they're available. In her attempt to rescue the real Jacob Aborn from the dungeon where he has been held captive, Nancy Drew has fallen into the clutches of the notorious Stumpy Dowd. One of her father's friends told her how a person could free oneself after being tied up. Can she remember how to do it? In the meantime, Lara Pendleton is becoming worried about Nancy. When Carson Drew returns from his trip and finds Lara in his home, they decide to go to Melrose Lake to help Nancy. Oh, if only it's not too late. Now sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Nancy Drew Mystery Stories The Bungalow Mystery Chapter 17 A Desperate Situation The warning came too late. Before Nancy Drew could turn, the butt of a revolver crashed down upon her head. With a low moan of pain, she sagged to the floor and lay still. How long she remained unconscious, she did not know. But when at last she opened her eyes, she found herself stretched out on the cold floor of the cellar. She was bewildered, and for a minute could not account for the splitting pain in her head. Then with a shudder she remembered what had happened. She had been struck down from behind. Who was her assailant? Nancy became aware that someone was standing over her, but objects whirled before her eyes, and she could not distinguish the face. Then abruptly her vision cleared. She saw Stumpy Dowd gazing down upon her gloatingly. "'You!' she gasped. The man leered unpleasantly. "'Thought you were going to catch me, did you? Well, you have another thought coming this time.' He reached over, and catching her by the arm, jerked her roughly to her feet. Nancy was so weak that she nearly fell. "'What are you going to do?' she whispered. "'You'll find out soon enough,' Stumpy sneered as he held up a long rope. "'I'm going to tie you up and leave you here. You and your friend have so much to say to each other.' "'Let that girl go,' Jacob Aborn pleaded from the other side of the room. Do anything you like to me, but set her free. Shut up, Stumpy growled. I'll do plenty to both of you before I get through. Nancy was too weak to struggle, and she was aware that resistance would be useless. One glance at the murderous weapon in Stumpy's hand had convinced her of that. He was ruthless and unprincipled, 
and would think nothing of shooting her down if she made a break for the stairway. Yet as Stumpy began to tie her feet together with the stout rope, she realized she must do something. If only her head would stop throbbing so that she could think clearly. The situation was a desperate one. Unless she thought quickly, there would be no escape. Then suddenly an idea came to her. She recalled that a detective, who had called on her father only a few months before, had entertained them by telling of his various experiences with criminals. He had explained how it was possible to hold one's hands while being bound, so as to slip the bonds later. Nancy had been interested, and had pressed the detective for details. He had taken a stout piece of cord, and had given her a demonstration. At the time she had thought the trick a very clever one, little dreaming that the knowledge would ever prove useful. She had made no effort to remember how the hands must be held. Now she frantically tried to recall what the detective had told her. If only the trick would work. Holding her wrists in what she believed was the correct position, she permitted Stumpy to bind them securely. The ropes cut into her flesh cruelly. It seemed to her that she must have made a mistake, for certainly there was little space between her wrists and the bonds. And now, just to make sure you won't get away, Stumpy muttered evilly. He took the end of the rope and ran it through a ring in the wall, nodding it fast. I guess that'll hold you for a while, he leered. You beast, Nancy cried. She realized now what Stumpy intended to do, but she was too proud to beg for mercy. This'll teach you not to meddle in affairs that are none of your business. You'll pay for this, Jacob Aborn cried in a quavering voice. If I get free. Tuh! If you get free, that's good, Stumpy laughed harshly. Then a cruel look settled over his face, and his eyes narrowed. Why, you old fool, you'll stay here until the rats get you. This isn't the time of the Inquisition, Nancy declared fiercely. You can't get away with murder. Murder? Who said anything about murder? What a harsh word. I'll just leave you and your friend here and go away. If anything happens, Dowd shrugged his shoulders indifferently. The police will be after you in a day, Jacob Aborn cried. Oh, no, they won't. Stumpy's nobody's fool. I'll cover up my trail. You think you will, Nancy informed him. Every criminal thinks he'll escape. And I will, too, Stumpy boasted. I'm too clever to be caught. Oh, I guess I've put over my little scheme pretty slick. Not a person suspected that I wasn't the real Jacob Aborn. Then you admit your guilt? Nancy demanded. Stumpy regarded her appraisingly. You're a smart detective, but your smartness won't do you any good this time. I don't mind admitting I pulled the deal single-handed, because you'll never get out of here to squeal on me. As neither Jacob Aborn or Nancy Drew made a response, he continued boastingly, I'm all fixed for my getaway tonight. Would have waited till tomorrow if you hadn't come nosing into my business. He glared at Nancy. I've cashed in all the Pendleton property, 
and all my suitcases are packed. When I leave here, I'll get them and beat it in a new racing car I bought today. I'd like to see the police or anyone catch me once I get started. You'll pay for it someday, Jacob Aborn cried angrily, robbing an orphan. I'm thankful poor Lara is out of your clutches. Oh, you think she is, do you? Stumpy laughed evilly. Well, let me tell you, I know where she's hiding. A look of horror came into Mr. Aborn's eyes. I heard you two talking, Stumpy informed them. I found out she's in River Heights, and I'm going there tonight. Don't you dare harm Lara Pendleton. In spite of his condition, Jacob Aborn struggled in his chains, attempting to attack Stumpy. With one blow, the scoundrel sent him reeling against the wall. I don't care what becomes of that ward of yours, he snarled. It's the jewels I want. I'll fix Lara for sneaking away with them. If you try to kidnap Lara, you'll have my father to deal with, Nancy promised. He's a criminal lawyer. A criminal lawyer, eh? Well, I may take a shot at him just for luck. As Stumpy spoke, he caught sight of an object on the floor. It was the key to the padlock on Jacob Aborn's chains. When Nancy had fallen, it had slipped from her hand. Well, I'll just take it with me, he announced gleefully as he picked it up. As he was about to thrust it into his pocket, another thought came to him. He hung it on a nail, far out of the reach of the two prisoners. You can look at it till you rot, he told them. Turning, he started to leave the cellar. Halfway across the room, he came back and stood gloatingly down upon Nancy. You thought you were so clever, sneaking into my house and spying on me? You, the daughter of a brilliant lawyer? Well, let me tell you something. You overlooked one important detail. Nancy stared blankly at Stumpy. She was at a loss to know how she had given herself away. The next time you'll remember to muffle the engine of your automobile when you leave. He gave a hollow laugh, which echoed through the place. Ha 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 The next time. You fiend, Jacob said fiercely. Thank you for the compliment. Stumpy made an elaborate bow. And now I fear I must say goodbye. Too bad you can't come with me. I shall live high in some other country. With another mocking bow, he turned and left the two prisoners. They heard him stumble up the stairway and slam the door at the top. Chapter 18 Left to Starve A death-like quiet fell upon the old bungalow. Nancy Drew and Jacob Aborn stared at each other in despair. Stumpy Dowd had dared to carry out his threat. He had left them in the cellar to starve. Fastened to the wall at opposite sides of the room, they were unable to help each other. Aborn's bonds were such that he could move about, but his tether was too short to permit him to reach Nancy, who lay on the floor bound hand and foot. Their situation seemed hopeless. In his haste, Stumpy Dowd had forgotten the lantern. 
and now its dim light served to reveal the sordidness of the prison. In a short time the oil would burn out, and then they would be left in the dark, a darkness which would soon drive them mad. However, Nancy Drew's first thought was not for herself, but for Lara. She recalled Stumpy's threat, and was afraid that he would go to River Heights and attempt to harm the girl. I hope Dad is home from St. Louis, she thought miserably. He'll look after her. At the best, she knew that Lara would be left penniless. Even now, Stumpy was making his escape with the Pendleton fortune. After going to River Heights, he would undoubtedly strike for the border. Once in a foreign country, he would enjoy his ill-gotten gains in comparative safety. The same thought was passing through the mind of Jacob Aborn, for in desperation he sprang up from the bench and paced the floor like a caged lion. He shook his chains and beat them wildly against the stone wall until his wrists were cut and bleeding. If only I could get my hands on that wretch, he cried bitterly. Again he clawed at his chains, but could not break them. In vain he pounded the padlock against the floor. Not until he was completely exhausted did he give up. Then he quietly collapsed on the bench. Oh, my poor Lara, he half sobbed. And to think that I promised her mother that I'd always look after her. Nancy gazed upon the man in compassion, but could think of nothing to say in comfort. The situation seemed unreal to her. She felt that it was a horrible nightmare from which she must soon awaken. However, the dull ache in her head and the cutting ropes were severe reminders of her plight. If only she could find a means of escape. She considered shouting for help, but almost at once decided that it would be only a waste of energy. The bungalow was located in a desolate portion of the forest, and seldom did anyone pass near the spot. Jacob Aborn had been held a prisoner for nearly two weeks and had been unable to make his cries heard. It was characteristic of Nancy Drew to keep her head when faced with a grave problem. Stumpy Dowd had left her to die, but the will to live was strong within her. She would not give up without a brave struggle. If only I can free my hands, she thought grimly. She glanced down at the ropes meditatively. To the eye there was no space between the thongs and her wrists, and yet, if she had made no mistake, she should be able to move her hands in such a way that she could slip out of the ropes. If only the trick would work. Giving her wrists a peculiar twist, she was elated to find a little slack in the ropes. She tried to slip her hands from the bonds, but could not. However, Nancy was not ready to give up. She hoped that by moving her hands back and forth, she would eventually be able to free herself. Frantically, she began working at the ropes. After a few minutes, her wrists became chafed and tender, but the knowledge that she was making a little progress gave her new courage. After a time, Jacob Aborn sat up on the bench at the opposite side of the room. He said nothing as he watched her work, and his very silence told Nancy that he had given up all hope of escape.
Presently, however, his interest quickened. You're getting it? he demanded eagerly. I think so, Nancy returned. Grimly, she struggled to free herself. Her hands and wrists were now bleeding, but she was oblivious of the cuts and bruises. The realization that Stumpy Dowd was speeding toward River Heights to make trouble for Lara drove her to more frantic efforts. She must escape. Then, without warning, the light in the lantern went out, and the room was plunged in darkness. The supply of oil had been exhausted. Nancy found it more difficult to work, but she kept doggedly on. Each minute seemed an eternity. Then, after a quarter of an hour, success was hers. With a cry of pleasure, she pulled her hands free from the ropes. I did it, she cried. Jacob Aborn sprang up from the bench, his chain clanking loudly against the floor. Then we'll escape. We may be able to catch that scoundrel yet. Nancy did not respond, for she was working grimly at the ropes which bound her feet. Stumpy had tied the knots securely, and they were stubborn. She could have severed the ropes in an instant with a knife, but was forced to pick them out with her fingers. It was tedious work. There, she exclaimed, as she untied the last knot. I'm free. She sprang to her feet and tottered uncertainly. The blow on her head had left her dizzy, and her limbs were cramped from lack of circulation. Leaning weakly against the wall, she recovered her equilibrium. Have courage, she called out to Jacob Aborn. I'll set you free in a minute, if I can find the key. It's hanging from a nail on the north wall, Mr. Aborn directed her eagerly. Stumbling across the cellar, Nancy groped about on the damp wall. Stumpy had hung the key in plain sight of his two victims, as a means of torturing them. But now his action served them to advantage. Nancy struck a nail with her hand, and the key clattered down at her feet. Fumbling about in the dark, she found it, and ran to Jacob Aborn's side. Quickly working at the padlock, she set the man free. The chains fell to the floor with a loud thud. Now to catch Stumpy Dowd, she cried. We must hurry or he will get away. He had to go back to the house after the money, Jacob Aborn said tensely. We may catch him there. Chapter 19 In Pursuit Nancy Drew urged Jacob Aborn to make haste, for she little realized to what desperate physical straits his long imprisonment had brought him. At the exultation of being free of his bonds, he had leaped to his feet in the dark cellar, eager to rush to the bungalow on the lake before Stumpy Dowd should have a chance to escape. But as he moved forward several steps, he felt his knees sink uncertainly. Nancy, unaware of the physical anguish Jacob Aborn was enduring, groped about in the darkness for the bottom step of the stairway, leading from the cellar. Presently her foot touched it, and she called out to her companion. He dragged himself to her side, scarcely able to walk. "'Are you ill, Mr. Aborn?' Nancy demanded anxiously. She could not see his face. "'Oh, no,' the man protested quickly. 
I'm only a bit weak from being tied up like a dog in a kennel. My legs will be all right after I've used them a few minutes. But try as he would, the man was unable to climb the stairway unassisted. Nancy, realizing his predicament, reached out a strong arm to help him. Even then, Jacob Aborn was forced to stop frequently for a brief rest, leaning upon Nancy for support, while he recuperated his strength. But at last the top of the stairway was reached, and he then insisted that he was able to walk without her help. Nancy led the way to the living room window, and after climbing out to the porch, assisted Jacob Aborn to crawl through the opening. What a relief, he gasped, filling his lungs with pure air. This is the first decent breath I've had in nearly two weeks. In the east, the moon was just rising over the forest, and stars were commencing to peep through the clouds, which were now breaking up and drifting swiftly along the sky, like scudding ships at sea. The cellar had accustomed Nancy's eyes to a blacker darkness than that which now faced her, and it was possible to make out objects well enough to pick the route through the forest. Yet glancing uneasily at Jacob Aborn, she wondered if he would be able to walk the short distance to the roadster. "'Do you think you can make it?' she questioned. "'It isn't far to my car.' I think so, Lara's guardian declared grimly. Nancy offered her arm again, and at a slow pace they walked across the clearing. Entering the forest, they had gone but a short way, when Mr. Aborn sank down on a log along the trail, breathing heavily. I've got to rest, he murmured, his voice shaky from fatigue. You go on without me, Nancy. Just rest here for a moment, Mr. Aborn, Nancy said encouragingly. I'm sure you'll be all right in a few moments. She was unwilling to desert Jacob Aborn, for if she went on ahead, she was afraid he would never reach the bungalow on the lake. At the same time, she was impatient at the delay. Already, Stumpy Dowd had had a good half-hour's start. Unless they hurried, he would escape with Lara's fortune. Once he had left the bungalow, it would be difficult to pick up his trail again. It's only a little way farther to the car, Nancy urged gently, after Mr. Aborn had rested a few minutes. With an effort, he arose from the log and wavered unsteadily on his feet. I can make it now, he insisted. We can't let that scoundrel escape. Leaning heavily on Nancy, he moved forward again, more rapidly than before. His breathing came hard, but he offered no complaint, and refused to pause again even for a brief rest. His nerve carried him along. For Lara's sake, he exerted himself to the utmost. It was a walk that Nancy never forgot. Time and again Jacob Aborn stumbled, and would have fallen headlong had it not been for the sturdy support the girl gave him. "'You'd better leave me and go ahead alone,' he said several times. "'I'm willing to try my best, but I know I can't make it.' "'Oh, yes, you can, Mr. Aborn,' Nancy urged. "'It's only a short distance now to the place where I left my roadster. "'As soon as we reach that, you'll be safe.' "'You're a very kind girl to do all this for me.' murmured the exhausted man. 
We've got to do it. Think of Lara. And thus, Nancy urged him forward. Through the bushes and around a number of the rocks they stumbled. Once, both went headlong, and Nancy had almost all the wind knocked out of her. But she picked herself up and managed to drag the man once more to his feet. How much farther, he whispered hoarsely. Only a short distance, she answered as lightly as she could. Keep up your courage and we're bound to get there. Presently, with a feeling of relief, Nancy caught sight of her automobile, standing in the bushes where she had left it. Although she had not mentioned her fears to Jacob Aborn, she had been afraid that Stumpy Dowd might have taken the car. Hastily helping Lara's guardian into the roadster, she sprang in after him and took her place behind the steering wheel. With nervous haste, she started the motor and backed around in the road. The car shot forward in a burst of speed. Neither driver nor passenger exchanged a word as they raced madly toward the bungalow. Nancy had her hands full managing the steering wheel, for she was taking the rough road at dangerous speed. Driving as near the bungalow as possible, she helped Mr. Aborn to alight. Abandoning the automobile, they started afoot through the forest. As before, Nancy offered Mr. Aborn her arm, helping him along. She was relieved that he walked with less difficulty. A few minutes, and they came to the clearing. Directly ahead, they caught a glimpse of the house. To their disappointment, the windows were dark. I'm afraid the bird has flown, Nancy observed quietly. It looks that way, Jacob Aborn admitted gloomily. Still, he may be there yet. The windows were dark earlier in the evening, and he was there then. At least it will be wise to approach cautiously. Yes, we are unarmed, and would be no match for him if he heard us coming. We don't want to place ourselves in his power a second time. Oh, if only I can get my hands on that scoundrel, Jacob Aborn gritted. The thought gave him new strength, and he moved eagerly forward again. Cautiously, the two crept toward the house, approaching from the rear. You haven't a key, I suppose, Nancy whispered. No, that villain took it away from me, along with everything else. Never mind, I know a way to get in. However, as Nancy drew near the bungalow, she saw that there was no need of a latch key. The back door stood ajar, as though someone had fled without taking time to shut it. With Mr. Aborn close behind her, Nancy Drew stepped cautiously into the kitchen. There was profound silence. The bungalow appeared deserted. Crossing the room on tiptoe, she groped about on the kitchen table and found an oil lamp. Lighting it, she picked it up and hurried toward the living room. Pausing in the doorway, she cast a critical glance about and saw that Everything was in disorder. A chair had been overturned. A small rug was out of place. Papers were scattered all about. The two suitcases, which Stumpy Dowd had packed earlier in the evening, were missing. He's escaped, Nancy exclaimed in bitter disappointment, as she surveyed the confusion. Just then her eye fell upon the safe, 
and she saw that the door was wide open. With a little cry of alarm, she rushed across the room and looked inside. With the exception of a few papers, everything had been taken. Snatching up the papers, Nancy hastily examined them. As she had feared, they were worthless. "'Lara's fortune!' she cried angrily. "'That rascal has escaped with every penny of it!' "'Oh, my poor Lara!' Jacob Aborn groaned. He moved heavily over to the safe and gave it one hopeless glance. "'He's taken everything of mine, too. I don't mind for myself. It's only that Lara must suffer for my negligence.' "'It wasn't your fault, Mr. Aborn. We'll capture that man somehow. We must notify the police. I'll telephone the station this minute.' "'You can't. There isn't a phone in the house.' "'You have no phone?' Nancy echoed. "'Oh, what an aggravation!' "'Oh, why didn't I have one installed?' Jacob Aborn demanded of himself. "'I always intended to.' "'Where is the nearest one?' "'At the hotel.' "'Then we must go there at once.' "'I'm afraid it will be too late. That scoundrel has had too great a start.' We must try to capture him anyway. With luck we can do it. Yes, we must try, Jacob Aborn exclaimed. He started toward the door, but was forced to grab the back of a chair for support. Nancy ran to him and eased him into the chair. You're too ill to go, she cried. One quick glance had assured her that he was on the verge of collapse. Only the hope that he might save Lara Pendleton's fortune had given him the strength to reach the bungalow. Now he was too nearly exhausted to go further. Mr. Aborn dropped his head on his hands. I guess I'm done up, he admitted. Of course you must stay here, Nancy insisted. I'll send a doctor to you. Don't think about me. Just set the police on the trail of Stumpy Dowd. I'll do both. And as soon as I telephone to the police... I intend to start after Stumpy myself. But the danger! You must think of your own safety. I'll be careful, Nancy promised as she turned away. Just stay here and rest until the doctor comes. I must hurry now. Every minute counts. Chapter 20 Nancy's Daring Action Leaving Jacob Aborn behind, Nancy Drew turned and ran from the bungalow. As she sped swiftly down the path, she passed the garage and halted long enough to glance inside. Stumpy's racing car was gone. Nancy stooped down and examined the driveway, but it was too dark for her to see the wheel tracks. However, she was fairly certain that the man had taken the lake route, for there was no road through the forest in the immediate vicinity of the bungalow. Nancy had been forced to leave her own roadster a short distance away. It's not going to be easy to capture Stumpy, she thought. A good many roads branch off from the lake thoroughfare. That man is a clever criminal, and he'll take care to cover up his trail. Running through the forest, she reached her roadster and sprang in. She headed the automobile down the road. To reach the Beech Cliff Hotel it would be necessary for her to follow the forest a short distance until it joined the lake road. 
From there, she would have a fairly straight, smooth stretch to the hotel. The rough forest road held Nancy to a slow pace, but when she reached the lake thoroughfare, she stepped on the accelerator, and the little car began to purr like a contented cat. She soon caught a glimpse of the lights of the hotel, and a few minutes later brought the roadster to a halt in front of the inn. Without bothering to park the car according to the regulations, she sprang to the ground and ran inside. As she entered the lobby, a number of persons turned and stared at her curiously. Nancy Drew was well aware that her hair was in disorder and that her clothing was in disarray, but she was indifferent to her appearance. Rushing to a row of telephone booths, she saw at a glance that they were all in use. Without a moment's hesitation, she rushed back to the main desk, and to the astonishment of the clerk in charge, snatched up his private telephone. The public telephones are at the end of the hall, he told her with pointed politeness. Sorry, Nancy apologized briefly. This is a rush call. Placing an emergency call for the police station, she waited impatiently. The hotel clerk, who had heard her directions to the telephone operator, underwent a sudden change of expression. Hello? Hello? Nancy said frantically into the transmitter. Police station? After a seemingly interminable wait, she was connected with the chief, and in a few terse sentences told what had happened. I think he must have taken the lake road, she finished. He may be heading for River Heights before he strikes out for some distant point. We'll have a squad right after him, came the reassuring response. Nancy hung up the receiver and stood lost in thought for a moment. I must telephone to River Heights and warn Lara, she decided. Again she placed a call and waited impatiently for it to be put through. Several minutes passed, and then at last the bell jangled. Eagerly she caught up the receiver and held it to her ear. Your party does not answer, came the precise voice of the operator. That's strange, Nancy thought in alarm. I can't understand why Lara didn't answer. Surely she must be there, unless... <gasps> Even in her mind, she dreaded to finish the sentence. Stumpy Doubt had threatened to go to River Heights and force Lara to hand over the jewels to him, but Nancy doubted he could have reached the place so quickly. Still, it was only twenty miles away, and Stumpy's car was built for speed. The thought that even now Lara might be in grave danger struck terror to Nancy Drew's heart. She would never forgive herself if anything happened to the girl while she was a guest in the Drew residence. If only father were at home, he could help me, she thought miserably. The hotel clerk had overheard Nancy's conversation and now regarded her with respect and curiosity. Is there anything I can do to help? he inquired. Yes. Send a doctor to Jacob Aborn's bungalow as quickly as you can. At once. And telephone to points along the road, between here and River Heights, warning the police to be on the watch for a man in a racing car. How about the radio stations? By all means. I can give you a description of the man. Hastily, Nancy described Stumpy as best she could. Before she had finished, a number of hotel guests had crowded about the desk, 
suspecting that something unusual had happened. They would have plied Nancy with questions which would have delayed her had she not run from the lobby and jumped into her roadster. A moment she hesitated uncertainly. The police may catch Stumpy, and again, they may not, she told herself grimly. I'm going to try to pick up the trail myself. With sudden decision, she headed the car down the lake road. Although not paved, the highway was well dragged, and with a smooth stretch before her, Nancy Drew pressed her foot hard upon the gasoline pedal. The little blue car fairly roared down the road, as though it too were eager to overtake Stumpy Dowd. Ordinarily, Nancy was not a fast driver, but now she knew that much depended upon her speed. Once Stumpy crossed the state line, it would be more difficult to cause his arrest. Nancy Drew was a brave girl and was too intent upon preventing the man's escape to consider seriously the danger which she might be running into herself. Alone and unarmed, she would find herself at a hopeless disadvantage should she meet the criminal face to face. Presently, on a distant hill, Nancy caught the gleam of a headlight. Another automobile was coming toward her. I'll stop those people and ask if they've passed a racing car, she decided upon sudden impulse. Bringing her automobile to an abrupt halt in the middle of the road, she signaled for the approaching car to stop. It was a brown sedan, and as it came within the range of her headlights, Nancy thought there was something familiar about it. The automobile came to a stop not far from her roadster. Hello there, a voice called out. What's the matter? With a start, Nancy Drew recognized the voice. Chapter 21 Laura Begins to Worry Not Without Misgiving Laura Pendleton stood at the window of the Carson Drew residence and watched Nancy start off for Melrose Lake in her roadster. Perhaps I shouldn't have allowed her to take that note to my guardian, she thought uneasily. Nancy is going to a great deal of trouble and risk for me. I'm afraid it isn't fair to involve her in my affairs. After a time, she entered the library and tried to interest herself in a novel. She found she could not remember a word she had read so laid the book aside in a little while. Walking restlessly to the window, she glanced out. I may as well do some shopping, she decided. It will help me kill the time and help me forget my troubles. She told Hannah Gruen where she was going, and then started off afoot for the business section of River Heights. The day was a pleasant one, and as she walked briskly along, her worries seemed less real. Reaching a department store, Lara entered and purchased a few articles for which she had urgent need. In her hasty departure from Melrose Lake, she had forgotten a great many things. However, she made her purchases with the utmost caution, for with the exception of a twenty-dollar bill in her purse, she was without funds. When that was gone, she did not know what she would do. I'll never sell or pawn mother's jewels, even if I starve, she told herself, I'll manage some way. Perhaps Nancy will help me find work. Carrying her packages with her, Laura walked slowly back to the Drew residence. Already the evening shadows were beginning to gather. In another hour or two, it would be dark. 
As she passed the garage, she noticed that it was empty. Nancy had not returned. I do hope she gets back before dark, Laura thought anxiously. Entering the house, she had not had time to put away her things when the telephone jangled. A minute later, the housekeeper told her that there was a long-distance telephone call for her. It's from Miss Nancy, I think, Hannah Gruen said. Oh, I hope nothing has happened. Eagerly, Lara snatched up the telephone receiver. Nancy's quiet voice at the other end of the wire reassured her. However, as she listened to her friend's daring plan, Lara was somewhat alarmed. Still, other than to warn Nancy to be careful, she made no protest, for she felt that her friend's judgment was probably better than her own. If I'm not back or haven't telephoned within twenty-four hours, send the police to your guardian's bungalow, Nancy told her. Lara promised, and a moment later hung up. Before she turned away from the telephone, she regretted that she had not asked Nancy to give up her plan. She doesn't realize what a mean man Jacob Aborn is, she told herself. If he catches her prowling about the bungalow at night, there's no telling what he may do. Tempted to call Nancy back, she picked up the telephone again. With her hand on the receiver, she hesitated. I'm just a little coward, she accused herself. I'll not let my nerves get the best of me this time. Resolutely, she turned away. Presently, Hannah called her to dinner, and she made a pretense of eating, but was relieved when the dessert dishes were cleared away. Returning to the living room, she tried to read the evening paper. The hours dragged slowly along, and still there was no sign of Nancy. Several times, Lara walked to the window and cast a hopeful glance down the driveway. I suppose it's too early to expect her home, she told herself. As she crossed to the window for perhaps the tenth time that evening, she was surprised to see a tall, elderly man coming up the walk toward the house. Although Lara had never seen him before, she was instantly convinced that it was Carson Drew. He thrust open the door, and his eyes fell upon her. Hello, Nancy, he called. It's good to get back home again. Oh, I beg your pardon. I couldn't see your face. I thought you were my daughter. I don't wonder you are surprised to find a stranger in your home, Lara said with a friendly smile. Quickly she introduced herself and told Carson Drew what had happened and why Nancy had gone to Melrose Lake. She ended by apologizing for her presence in the house. You're entirely welcome to our hospitality, Mr. Drew assured her cordially when she had finished her story. But I'll admit I'm rather worried about Nancy. Tell me more about this guardian of yours. What does he look like? Lara gave a detailed description of the man. Hmm. Did you say that his name is Jacob Aborn? Wait a minute. Walking over to the desk, he began to rummage in a drawer. Lara noticed the stern expression on his face and was troubled. After a brief search, Carson Drew brought out a small photograph and handed it to Lara. Is that your guardian? Lara stared at the photograph in amazement. Why, it is! It's Jacob Aborn! Carson Drew shook his head. That man is Stumpy Dowd. I don't understand. Stumpy Dowd is a clever criminal. He has a long police record. Just now he is at large. 
Stumpy Dowd, Lara exclaimed in horror. You mean my guardian is a criminal? It looks that way, and a particularly tough one at that. And Nancy has gone up there to see him. What if something should happen to her? We must get in touch with her at once. Do you know the hotel where she is staying? Yes, but it's pretty late now. Perhaps she isn't there. That's what we want to find out. Now, thoroughly excited, Laura ran to the telephone and placed a call to the Beach Cliff Hotel. Impatiently, Carson Drew waited for a response. When the bell finally rang, he snatched up the receiver. Hello? he said eagerly. It was the voice of the hotel telephone operator that greeted him. We are unable to reach your party. Miss Drew is not in her room. Carson Drew turned from the telephone, a drawn expression upon his face. She's not in, he informed Lara. That may mean anything, and again it may not. I'm afraid Nancy is in trouble. Oh, what shall we do? I must go to Melrose Lake as quickly as I can. May I go too? It was my fault that Nancy went there, and I want to help if I can. We may run into danger. I'm not afraid. Laura, who by nature was timid, had suddenly become calm and determined. Then get your things quickly. As Carson Drew issued the order, he jerked open a drawer in the table and pulled out a revolver. Hastily loading it, he stuck it in his pocket. I'm ready, Laura announced. Rushing from the house, they climbed into Mr. Drew's brown sedan. He backed out of the garage without stopping to close the doors behind him and headed toward Melrose Lake. Oh, I hope we get there in time, Lara breathed. Carson Drew made no response, but his hands clenched more tightly on the steering wheel. This is your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Stories Come to Life. Be sure to join us next time when we continue to listen to the bungalow mystery. You can find a link to our podcast on the Marshall Public Library webpage, www.marshallpl.org. I'll talk to you again soon.